You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Welcome back to another exciting episode of TechNest Podcast. I am joined by a co-host today, Clayton Collins. Clayton, how's it going? Howdy from Texas. Thrilled to be back. Second time co-hosting uh, this month. Yeah, you know, you didn't do terrible the first time, so I thought I've got to bring you back. Also, you know a lot more about this guest and I think the industry, and so it just made a ton of sense. Today we've got uh, Brian Zitten, a co-founder and CEO of a company called Regora. And uh, what I took away from this episode, first off, is that out of college, he sees real estate as a very doable business just decides to go about it by building algorithms and, and doing it smartly. And he says his senior year, he sold $5 million worth of real estate and then notices that the appraisal process sucks. And, th- and that's kind of what he's been building. Clayton, what did you what did you get out of this episode? I mean, Brian's entrepreneurial journey is just fascinating. And it's really cool to see these entrepreneurial ideas bud about in, in college and then ultimately find market fit and attract capital and start making an impact. I mean, that's fascinating. But I really think the most important and probably the most interesting part of the interview for me are some of the outcomes of what happened in 2020 and 2021 when origination volume shot through the roof and the the pressure really got pushed through the pipes and lenders started to understand that innovating in their appraisal processes was necessary. I won't give away everything, but that's what really kind of got me sitting on the edge of my seat. Yeah, they're a fast growing company, raised 45 million, I believe, in venture capital from some of the top venture capital investors in uh, the country and startup land right now. So why don't we go ahead and let's jump to it. Well, hey, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat appraisals. I'm excited because I know nothing in this space. <laughs> so just kidding, uh, but very excited to talk with you. This is a little bit of, I'm going to call the nerd zone as we're about to get into here. Uh, but before we jump into the details, please go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Brian Zitten. I am one of the co-founders of a company called Regora. We are a venture capital-backed fintech that essentially provides workflow software to streamline and automate the residential real estate appraisal process. So for anyone who has to get a mortgage and they need to value that home, they call in the trusty appraiser. We help make that you know better, faster, cheaper, all that good stuff. Okay, so if you had to boil it down, what's the big problem Agora is solving? We are streamlining the valuation of residential real estate. Love it. That is as succinct as it gets. Okay, so before we jump into that, walk me through how you find yourself working on solving that problem. Because I'm trying to think through any career class and planning or natural way of doing things that it just doesn't lend to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fix the appraisal process. No, Brian, you majored in appraisal software management and your for your BS, right? That was a that was a that was a degree program. 
Yeah, I was about to say the go-to joke is like, I woke up like any other eight-year-old boy dreaming of automating the appraisal <laughs> process, you know? Um, no, we, we kind of found our way, you know, adjacent almost. So I, in college, um, which is where we started the business. So Regora was officially started kind of my senior year at Boston University with my college roommate. He was the technical one. So he was always messing around with coding up different things. I had ended up interning at a really big commercial real estate brokerage called JLL, just as like an intern, you know, supporting the broker. I've heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty big. Uh, senior year, we were like, hey, that didn't seem so hard. Like, let's start our own brokerage. So we started our own brokerage. It was named Sonder Partners. We just wanted to make it sound as regal and not like 22 year olds as possible. And we essentially used an algorithm to get the contact information of every single property owner in Massachusetts. So instead of the brokers that were knocking on doors and cold calling, we could go and programmatically send out thousands of emails to all the homeowners being, hey, you wanna sell your property? Hey, you wanna sell your property? So we focused on two 10 unit multifamily deals because we didn't want to, we basically wanted to kind of sell to investors. We didn't wanna to sell to homeowners mm -hmm. because we had no idea what we were doing and it was more of like an arbitrage sort of situation versus like an education trusted advisor. So senior year, we sold like $5 million worth of real estate doing that. Um, and that's not bad. No, not, not bad for a couple of 22 year olds. And so we were, you know, having fun doing that. But like I said, not providing a ton of value, just finding like distressed sellers. You know, this guy's moving to Florida, this guy who's, you know, the parents just died, they're selling the building, that sort of thing. And then, you know, eventually we're like, okay, this is not super scalable. We're just blasting out thousands of emails. We could go, this was kind of around when Compass was like becoming bigger. We're like, hey, we could go and like start a big brokerage and see, you know, tech enabled. But, you know, that was kind of already a thing. And being a broker is tough. It, it is a merciless game. And so we were kind of exploring other areas in the space, giving property tours in walks and appraiser with the clipboard. Like, wow, that looks like it could need improvement. And so started shadowing appraisers, going to their house, watching them do their work. And then when we graduated, you know, like, hey, we're going to go into appraisal. So Regora was born. You literally followed the appraiser home and then watched them <laughs> enter it into the into a computer. Yeah, Is that what ended up happening? Trailed them from behind, snuck into their house, binoculars. <laughs> Uh, no, the, the good thing is appraisers love to complain about their problems. So there was very willing and open arms to showing a couple young tech guys, hey, how we can, you know, fix the process sort of thing. Brian, I think I I've joked that. to you about this before, but like our we have a lot of different audience segments at, at Housing Wire. But the one audience segment that is the most vocal, whether they like something or don't like something, are the appraisers. We always know, <laughs> we always know that we're going to get feedback on our content and coverage from the appraisers. It is a, it is a sure thing. Yeah, they're they're a very passionate bunch, very misunderstood to be honest within the various industries. So, um, but yeah, it's it, it's always fun chatting with them. T tell us more about that. Why are they misunderstood? Like, what do you what do you think people miss? Well. You know, the average appraiser is an independent contractor, sole proprietor, kind of work, work for themselves type of entrepreneur, really. And um, so a lot of those folks have, you know, certain mindsets about the way the world works, hard work, you know, all that sort of stuff. And at the same time, they've been, you know, I, I would say to some degree unjustly vilified in some aspects. When the housing crisis happened, appraisers were the first people to get yelled at for inflated property values and things like that when, you know, there was a multitude of other factors and, and they were, um, you know, while certainly I'm sure there were some bad apples, there was, you know, uh, just 
valuing how homes are supposed to be, you know, sales comparison approach and things like that. So they're not very well, like politically represented. There's, there's not very good lobbying. And so you get that mishmash of just like random Hmm. outrage posted on forums and not a ton of like organized efforts. So they usually get the brunt of a lot of regulations and a lot of, you know, excuses when people don't like how things are going. Yeah, I, you know, I, I can speak to that a little bit of my buying experience in South Dakota. There's not a lot of appraisers out here. And, you know, suddenly instead of 10 people moving to the area, there was 20. Uh, and that just crushed the appraisers in this area. They just couldn't. 45 days was a hope, you know, to, to get that done. <laughs> now, But the aggressive uh, stance that you guys are taking, I like this right from your, web, your website. We're making two-day turn times a reality. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is stopping that from happening today? Ooh, big! It's a big question. Uh, there are many different variables. I would probably boil it down to three core things. You know, we're talking about the already extremely sexy mortgage industry, right? And then within that mortgage industry, the even more sexy vertical of appraisal, right? So, um, you know, let's just say that the existing technology is like not the most forward facing, right? So right off the bat, when it comes to like ordering and workflows and communication and a bunch of that stuff, it is like not super modern, at least before Regora. And that's partially what we're trying to solve. So you stack on existing legacy technology with a shortage of appraisers, um, not, uh, you know, people aren't becoming appraisers anymore. Average age of the appraisers close to or over 60 years old. There's a diminishing population because there's very high barriers to entry and a bunch of other things as I alluded to. Not super fun to be the appraiser. Uh, Plus you have a lot of logistics issues. Um, Post housing crisis, there's the introduction of these third parties called appraisal management companies. And there's just a ton of fragmentation in the space. So like, let's say that Nate, you were trying to get a loan or an appraisal done in South Dakota. There may actually be an appraiser going to that neighborhood like two days from now, but no one is working on the same system. There's so much fragmentation that your lender doesn't know that. And so they have to go find their own appraiser who's working with someone else, right, to, to try to coordinate that. So there's really bad and inefficient logistics as well. So those, those are probably the three factors is, you know, the tech, the supply, and, you know, the kind of efficiency and, and coordination. So is there a is there a path to like a an uber pool of sorts where if there's two appraisals that need to happen in the same neighborhood in the next two days that that's going to be routed to the same appraiser if is there is there a path to that yeah so i'd say that of those three issues regora is working to solve two of them both the you know outdated technology obviously with like a workflow platform and the logistics so yes we if you think about because you said nerd zone we're getting a little into the weeds here but we plug into the core systems of the lender so we're very upstream of the like appraisal, we, we get to see it right when it happens. So we do see across the entire market, oh, this appraiser is in that neighborhood on this day for that inspection. Mm. So we are working on delivering that kind of Uber style approach with the existing network of appraisers that are already on our platform. And I think at this point we have close to or somewhere over 50% of the entire US appraiser population. So we're making good headway on that. The third problem of like shortage of appraisers is not, we. we can't help with that. And, you know, there's been, I'd say, some efforts from various regulatory bodies to help that with things like making it easier to become an appraiser and 
um, you know, instituting reasonable fees, but it, to be honest, hasn't worked super well thus far. And so what we're seeing in terms of efforts to curb that is instead of increasing the number of appraisers, empowering non-appraisers to take over parts of the process. So a really good metaphor that I've heard people use is, you know, like a surgeon. When you're going to get a procedure, the surgeon isn't the one prepping the room, you know, doing the intake. Mm-hmm. They're the ones there to do the hard job of, of the actual surgery. And it seems like what the appraiser role is evolving into is one of analysis. And so when it comes to like the data collection and doing the actual inspection, it seems like there's going to be a trend of opening that up to either like virtual FaceTime calls sort of thing, or um, like a third party inspector who's not the appraiser, but maybe, you know, some disinterested third party who can go and do that and, uh, and open up the supply that way. So, and, that, and that's mainly being led by the FHFA and the GSEs. So, yeah, I mean, the, while I joke that the appraisal industry is like outdated, there actually is a lot of really cool, innovative change happening. Like in the last year or so, like in Clayton, you've seen appraisal three years ago probably was not a hot topic at all. It is like much more commonly talked about now. Oh, we, I mean, our mindset's changed to being one of the most important topics in our newsroom and, a, and an extremely important audience segment. We have a, a newsletter that focuses exclusively on appraisal called Appraise Value. I think, I think Sarah, our editor in chief, shared a quote in there a few weeks ago about like from some some email feedback from appraisers that like they don't want to be the or these loud voices don't want to be the analyst. They want to be the surgeon that that preps the room, prepare like gets the table ready, does the surgery, mm. and then talks to the patient afterward. Like is is that a is that a vocal minority? Like or is there a, is there a segment of this like the future of appraisers that actually understands that there's a high there's a there's a segment of the work that's the highest value and that focusing their knowledge on their highest and best use might be what's best for the profession and them as professionals Mm -hmm. it's a really good question it's interesting because as i said appraisers are naturally cynical people (laughs) like they have uh yeah like not been super like you have all these companies who you know use their data to try to automate them. There used to not be appraisal waivers. Their own appraisal data has been used against them to reduce the amount of appraisals in the market, right? Mm. So they're naturally cynical people. And I think when technology continues to get introduced and eat away parts of the process, they think they're gonna Mm -hmm. go extinct. Um, Or they don't see the merit in how they can make more money or do better, right? So I think it's going to require a lot of thoughtfulness around like, how do, how do we make the appraiser as comfortable as possible from a liability standpoint? How do we arm them with all the tools to be super successful and communicate that they can actually make more money and have a better life by doing it this way? If I'm an appraiser, I'm in Boston right now. It's about to be like, about to be a foot of snow tomorrow. If I'm an appraiser, would I rather be like driving around, hunkering down house to house in crazy weather or sitting on my couch in pajamas doing analysis, cranking out you know more reports a day and, and making more money? Now that has not materialized yet because it, you know those products are not super prevalent in the market. But as they grow in popularity, we will start seeing success stories like that. And I think that appraisers will either accept it and come to terms with it and and enjoy it, or there'll naturally be some people that are like, you know what, I'm just going to retire. Um, and so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all develops. But I, I think the real test will be in the next year or so as as uh, this actually rolls out. 
it's it's no different than loan officers. There's loan officers that are embracing technology and mm. digital point of sale and seeing their volume shoot through the roof and earn more than they ever have. And there's others that are holding on to aspects of the legacy loan origination process that might work for them for the rest of their career, but won't be the tech tools and mentality that the next generation comes in with. So do you think that the, the analyst mindset, the tech-enabled mindset might be the linchpin that attracts the next generation of appraisers because the job is different than it was in the last generation? Maybe. You know, you do see a lot more efforts to... So part, part of the reason why like there's not a ton of new appraisers is because you have to become a trainee first. And what that means is that you don't get paid a lot of money and are very, you're basically like having your hand held by a supervisor appraiser. And it, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, it has not been very lucrative to for a supervisor appraiser to take on trainees because of all these different regulatory and ecosystem limitations that we don't need to get into. But with the introduction of these products, it can make it easier to bring on trainees. And, uh, and so, you know, you're right in that, yeah, when people see, okay, I can go work at investment banking, I can go do this or that, or I can go be an appraiser and make XYZ dollars per year, that, that may become more attractive, you know, as the economics and, and ease of access make sense. So, I, I mean, I, I'm not super optimistic. Like, I still think that, you know, once again, like eight-year-olds aren't waking up being like, I can't wait to be an appraiser. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I, you know, I, I think it, it could certainly happen. Yeah, I, the, the the stat I looked up here before the show was that there's and is counterintuitive to to for me thinking that this would be a market to go after because there's something like three thousand less appraisers just in the last few years, and I know if I'm looking to buy a rental property, I'm not looking for a town that has three thousand less residents, right? I want I want to see more customers, but there's more deals in the last year. I mean, record number of deals, which kind of points to the urgency and necessity of appraisals. Like we have to get better at doing this. If there's, if there's less agents to, or, you know, appraisers to do the work, we've got to give them the equipment to be able to handle the work in a, in a better flow and in a better way to, to, to make that worthwhile. I, I want to we'll shift here a little bit, kind of talk about, so we talked a lot about the appraisers, but you guys also work with the mortgage companies as well. What what are you doing on that side of the puzzle here? Because as you mentioned, there's multiple fragmentations all throughout the process. So I'd love to hear mm-hmm. how you're helping mortgage companies. Yeah, exactly. So to your point, it's it's a two sided equation. You have you have the appraiser. Uh, you also have these appraisal management companies sometimes, and primarily the lenders. So the lenders are our core customers, and a lender has a lot of different workflows that go into like people think it's like oh push a button order an appraisal we're good to go but there's a lot that goes into that you need to collect the payment for it from the borrower different loan officers have different styles sometimes they want to collect it up front sometimes they want to collect it at close um you know there are certain disclosure aspects that need to be in place about the appraisal um sometimes when i order it i need to order a particular product for a regular single family home versus a multifamily. Uh, I'm communicating with the appraiser. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes the broker doesn't pick up the phone. Sometimes the property contract uh, contact isn't listed correctly. So there are a bunch of exceptions that come up throughout this process that need to be jumped on to make sure that they're smooth. So that 45 days that you referenced isn't necessarily just the appraiser not showing up because they're so busy. Sometimes there are you know things like, hey, the lender sends out the order. It's originally 500 bucks, but no one wants to take it 
add that due date. So now there's like a bidding process. So our software handles all of these upstream workflows to essentially make it as seamless and easy for the lender to get the appraisal done. So uh, whether it's status updates, communication, payments, all this sort of stuff, we make it like an out-of-the-box experience for a lender to basically take this on and, and manage it effectively. I had no idea there was even a bidding process to get appraisals. I'm literally like trying to stay focused here. I'm thinking, how do I go buy an appraisal business and then plug and play Regora and let, let's do this? <laughs> well, that's one of the problems is there's not a lot of like scaled appraisal businesses. Like you're you're talking about independent contractors right. and then AMCs. I mean, there's not a lot in between, right, Brian? It's extremely fragmented, yeah. And and even the AMCs, you know, it's it's not like an industry where there's like five big players. There's like hundreds of AMCs, and even the largest ones represent a small percentage of the overall transactions. So, um, so yeah, you know, maybe you can sneak into our next round, Nate, and invest <laughs> that way. Yeah, you talked about though earlier. You said you have about what half the appraisers in 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 your system uh, are using. Yep. What, yeah. what about on the, on the mortgage side? Like how much of that market have you been able to capture and, and how much room is there to grow? We, we've grown extremely quickly, but we're still, you know, in the early days. So I think we have over 100 lenders at this point, ranging from small credit unions up to, you know, a top 10 lender, some of the largest lenders in the country. So we, I'd say, are easily the fastest growing system, but still have, you know, a ton of green pastures. So that's the great thing. The mortgage industry is so big um, that... There's, there's a lot of opportunity for a company like ours. So that's why we've raised $45 million in venture capital and we, it still feels like we're in like, you know, the second or third inning. So uh, yeah, we're super excited for the next couple of years. Cause there's like 40, I think it's 4,500 lenders on the Humda list, but a lot of that origination volume is concentrated in the, the top 20 and, mm -hmm. and top 100. So you can touch a majority of the transactions in the country by mm. concentrating business development at the the, the, the top couple hundred uh, lenders on the Humda list. So Brian, when we talked earlier about like the, the logistics problem, to like truly have like a, a full view of the playing field and like be able to kind of run that Uber model, getting lender pickup is extremely important as well to start like batching appraisals, oh, it, right? It, it's the most important. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. So when we first got started, like I said, I was, I was stalking appraisers. And so we, I, I didn't know anything about anything like, like, like the 22 year old, you know, di didn't know what an appraisal was. So when we first got started, we didn't know about the entire upstream logistics issues. All we saw was the appraiser with their clipboard creating the report. So when we first got started, it was actually software for the appraiser to create the report. And, uh, you know, we plugged into like MLS data, we plugged into public records data, made it so you could like automatically link this stuff in, much easier to create the report, tried giving it away for free and appraisers did not adopt it. Uh, <laughs> you know, they've been using the same, there's, there's two softwares, ACI and Alamode, that have been used for the last 30 years and appraisers like do not move. So we're like, okay, we need to figure out what, what else we can do. The appraisal clearly still has issues, but this isn't the way. So we shifted our focus to the lenders and the lenders, especially in, this was in 2018, uh, much less volume than the last two years, the lenders had all the power and between them and the appraisers. And so if they adopt Regora and they work with a hundred appraisers and say, Hey, look, we just adopted Adora, uh, Regora, sign up for Regora 
or else you're not going to get orders. And so that's how basically even without like a marketing team, just by signing lenders who use panels of appraisers, we've accumulated such a significant portion of the entire market. That's awesome. I mean, because I was wondering that if it was a pull through from the appraiser or from from the lender, and it sounds like the lender is pulling through the appraiser because they're the ones submitting out, hey, we have an order. And then, of course, this is how it must be submitted. And so then, I mean, that, that's a fantastic strategy. And the, the path there obviously came through a little bit of an experimentation, trial and error. Mm-hmm. The journey there, was there anything that you had tried to make that work that you know, to, to get the adoption that failed and you had to pivot and go away from? Well, we tried to give it away for free. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy because like appraisers were like loving it, nodding their heads. Oh my God, this is like the best thing since, you know, canned bread or whatever the phrase is. And, um, <laughs> or maybe sliced Sliced bread, yeah. Sliced I think bread. it's sliced. I think it's sliced bread. Um, Canned bread yeah, sounds terrible. Bread. But you know, appraisers were just so busy, and um, you know, like I think that was the big lesson we learned from a product development standpoint. Watch what people do, not what they say. You know, and so we we launched it, and it wasn't working. And we're like, okay, well, we're gonna run out of money, so we got to figure out what to do. So it was, you know, literally just failing is how we kind of figured out the the pivot there. Did, at that point, were you still like, are we bootstrapped? Did you have a seed round? Like, wh- what was that state? Where were you in your like entrepreneurial evolution when you kind of figured out that giving away software to appraisers wasn't going to be the the golden goose? So we, um, like I said, we did the brokerage senior year of college. This was like 2016 through. I graduated in May of 2017. So we we bootstrapped a little bit of money from the brokerage and had enough to hire like maybe two or three software developers like over the summer. Um, so we built out that appraiser form software all summer and then, you know, we're running out of money. This is completely bootstrapped September, October. And then we, we made the pivot to the lender side at the end of, uh, 2017 didn't have a product, but we had a couple lenders who were willing to get on the phone with VCs and be like, if these guys built this, we would use it. And then with that, we raised our first round of funding, which was like at the time, 800 K at the beginning of 2018. Wow. And then, and then fast forward, it's only what? No, we're 2022. Okay. So it's four years. (laughs) So that, that, I mean, it's quite a bit of growth and you know, I, I did take notice like personally for you, like you guys have received some recognition, especially for being young leaders in this space, uh, you know, in the lending real estate appraisal space It's a you know, it's an aging crowd, if you will. How do you find yourself finding your way through that? Like, do you find that to be a challenge? Have you ever had any like points of friction against you as a young founder or have you been, you know, have you felt well embraced? It's a good question. Yeah. I mean, now I think that my, both myself and Regora have accumulated a decent enough reputation as like a thought leader and expert in the space that, you know, it's not an issue at all. I also got some facial hair now, so it's a little bit easier. <laughs> But, uh, but when we first graduated, for sure, it was definitely, you know, imagine going to an appraiser conference where the average age is like 55, 60 years old and you got like a couple of young kids walking around. So I think we were welcomed actually more with appraisers who were just excited to see like young people interested in helping them. Where it became much more difficult was when we started trying to break into the financial institutions, the lenders, right? Because, yeah, imagine like 
mission critical system, the appraisal, and taking a bet on like a couple 23 year olds who, you know, raise like less than a million bucks and have like this very MVP product, right? So, you know, going to mortgage conferences, not knowing a single person. So in the beginning, it was definitely much harder and we had to leverage credibility from other people. So like our first salespeople, I actually sniped from our biggest competitors and that helped lend us some credibility on the early days. And then as you build up more logos and things like that, it gets easier and easier. But, but yeah, the, the, the toughest sales were like the first 10 by far. And then after that, it became much easier. Nate, that's an interesting question. I, I never would have asked Brian that because I, I guess I've known Brian for a couple of years and never like called like uh, age or experience level into question. And I think as I look across the fintech landscape and mortgage tech and, and prop tech, there's a lot of really early career first time founders that are bringing a lot of innovation and value to the market. And I, I and but it does make sense, Brian, where you said like the harder part of it was selling into the financial financial institutions. So like it was really like when you started like batting at the enterprise level where you had to go through like vendor management and like the bigger all the all the loopholes that depositories had where you like really started having to like say like oh we've hired xyz or this person from this big competitor and that's like the credibility linchpin yeah for sure like when we when we first started going through that stuff and it's like oh do you have a well here i'll caveat one thing luckily we got into a program early on through a really big credit union in massachusetts called dcu digital credit union and they have an accelerator program that startups can get into. So they help mentor us like, and they were like, hey, you're gonna need a SOC 2 security audit like before you even get to the doorstep. So we were like ahead of the game on a lot of that sort of prerequisite stuff. But, uh, but yes, like in terms of the credibility, it also helped that we did after that year raise venture capital from the same investors behind Twitter, Slack, Wayfair, like some of the most blue chip VCs out there. So that also helped credibility with recruiting and, and breaking into places. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's just slowly but surely kind of building up that that rep. Yeah. So on, on the topic of selling into banks and and mortgage banks, what wh- what's the messaging right now that's working for you? Like, what is the what's the value prop? What's the pain point? Like, what what are you selling into the banks from a from a like a story perspective that that gets people to bite and see the the power of working with Regora? It's a couple of things, and, and actually I'll zoom out a bit. So you mentioned, Nate, like the 45-day close. It's interesting because for some lenders, like that actually doesn't matter because the closing for them takes 45 to 60 days anyways, right? It's only in like the last, call it like five to seven years where we saw this fintech wave of, okay, we had like the loan origination system, like these big older companies. Now we're starting to see these fintechs in the point of sale system. And then, and then in 2020, it was like e-close. So as the rest of the mortgage process gets better and faster, the bottleneck of the appraisal becomes an even bigger pain point, right? Because now it truly is the limiting factor to closing. So that's what happened a ton in 2020 and 2021 with the increased demand. Appraisals were even slower. And so like to answer your question, like when I go into a bank, I don't need to tell them, that they have a problem with appraisal. <laughs> Everyone knows that their appraisal process sucks and is terrible and they hate it. And it's really more of a story around like how we can fix it. And you know, outside of the the dazzle of various bells and whistles and features, it's also pretty easy to see compared to some of these legacy companies, 
the trajectory, not only of our like traction, but of the product. So literally half, we're like 160 people now, half of my company is engineers and product people. So I can demo with a lender and then six months later, they'll see entirely new stuff. And that is, believe it or not, like <laughs> a differentiator in, in this space, right? So I think that people, you know, understand that appraisals are terrible. There, there needs to be new modern technology that can accommodate what their going needs are. And they want vendors who they know are going to be the future of valuation. So I think outside of getting into the nitty gritty of like, oh, we can do that and this, it's, it's also the story of like, you know, it looks like Rigor is going to be like the people in three years from now, we better get on now. Smart. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can just imagine from their perspective, not wanting to be changing these systems on a frequent basis. So knowing and trusting this company is going to be around, they're going to continually be making improvements. It sounds like the basics, honestly, like it's a good product. We know you'll improve it, but if no one else is doing that in this space, uh, then yeah, that's, that's a pretty good selling point. Yeah. It's funny because the more, if you, if you think about the classic, like, um, tech measurement of a product success of NPS, the net promoter score, mm -hmm. which is basically a proxy for like customer happiness. I think that it's very safe to assume that the mortgage industry has an overall lower NPS than pretty much like most other industries. But to your point, Nate, cause it's like so bulky and so mission critical, these systems just still get usage. Um, and even when like people, I don't want to say disparage, but like aren't happy with their vendor, like they're still using them. You know, so, um, so yeah, you'd be surprised what just even having the basics, you know, does in terms of going, going far in this industry. So it sounds like, like going back to 2020, 2021, the, the huge uplift in volume and refi and purchase, like, you know, pushed more pressure through the, through the pipes and lenders were prepared for, and that put pressure on appraisals and it became very clear and very apparent that lenders needed to make investments in, in improving appraisal process. So right now, as we go into 2022, we're already seeing refi fall off a cliff. I think purchase should grow a bit this year, but like refi is definitely um, down 50, 60, 65%. Um, so without that additional pressure in the pipes, mm -hmm. does your value prop have to change in, in going out and going to market? Or do you think like the last two years already like signal to lenders that there's a problem here that they need to solve even when volume kind of ticks back a little bit. Yeah, it's um, I'd say a two part answer in that, you know, now that things have slowed down, people can finally work on like a lot of these initiatives, you know, like people were mostly I'd say, well, no, there, there was definitely still tech initiatives going on, but a lot of people were just in like put out fire mode. So as things slow down, they're like, OK, whew, we don't want to go through that again. Let's fix this, you know, before it happens again next time. So we're definitely still seeing a lot of that, you know, remnants from that crazy push. But yes, once those people now figured out, then the next thing is really, okay, now how do we, so we, we don't think appraisals are going to ruin us or, or prevent closing. How do we like continue to improve them? And now once, you know, whether it's luck or just the, the natural cycle of things, now Fannie Mae comes out with this announcement of desktop appraisals becoming a permanent fixture in the mortgage process. And mm. the transformation of the appraisal as we know it is happening imminently. So now I think that there's going to be this very justified FOMO effect from lenders who, if they don't figure out how to adopt these technologies soon, they're going to be left behind by their competitors. You know, so I think that, like I said, that's why I kind of compare it to the whole e-close moment 
in 2020 where there's a little bit of a forcing function in the market adopting you know this newer technology yeah and i'm i'm so glad you brought up the desktop appraisals i i have uh, another i have a question coming up about that which is going to lead into my favorite segment of the show called for the future for the future is a segment where we get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best prediction based on the following four questions brian you ready to play let's do it all right let's do it First one. It's actually, it sounds it sounds intimidating. Like you're like really putting him on the hot seat here. Are you, are you, are you ready for this game show? Right, I, you know, I'm out. I'm out. I keep wanting to use the, uh, the the minor rabbit hole here. There's soundtracks here that I could be uh, playing that intro. This I was gonna, I was expecting a theme song. I was expecting a theme song to start playing. So that's yeah, it. So it's that. been decided. It's gonna happen. I'm I'm getting a theme song for it. We're gonna do it. <laughs> All right. Question number one: What does Regora look like one year from now? Uh, one year from now, I think that we look like the thought leader in the space of appraisal and uh, and leading the future. Love it. Question number two: What year will it be when ninety percent of appraisals are desktop appraisals? I don't think ever. P- part of uh, well, I never say never, but you know, part of how this stuff works in terms of the eligibility of a loan, you know, to be used as an appraisal waiver or a desktop appraisal or an appraisal comes from the, the risk models that the GSEs, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac use to make this decision. Now, in order to do that, you need fresh real estate data. Otherwise the data goes stale and your risk models go afray. So there needs to be some level of actual data gathering and confirmation enough to justify the rest of these transactions. So, you know, could they end up being the majority at some point? Maybe yes, but, you know, so that we don't just go spinning in circles around, you know, fake data, there needs to be actual validation in the real world on a decent percentage of these to to let the whole thing keep going. So um, that being said, I do think in the next, I think when this launches, it'll be a small percentage of loans that'll continually grow year over year as they get more and more data over it and, and become comfortable with the risk. Fascinating. Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? <laughs> one industry, tr- uh, Clayton might not like this one. I don't know. I, I, I am not a fan of virtual conferences. I think that, you know, the mortgage industry, especially, was like super conducive to in-person conferences and and really helped build relationships and and form um, partnerships and things like that. And and I think you miss out a lot on that. And the mortgage industry has obviously been super heavy on that, probably like every other industry. But I, I hope it goes back to in-person. That's that's definitely my wish. I, even as someone who hosts and has benefited from virtual conferences, I I do not disagree with you there. Like I think there's I think there's a place and like in person is incredibly important. So we're we're building there. So we have the gathering of eagles in June for real estate brokerage executives at the Broadmoor in Colorado Housing Wire Annual, which will be in Scottsdale in October. Like we're putting a huge focus on bringing people together. But virtual, I think, still has a has a place, and it, it's not for like 
full day events or three day events. It's mm-hmm. not like, um, but it is a substitute for some people. And like one of the things that we've continuously heard from audience is that I've never been to an industry event before. I'm either too busy, have health issues, don't have the budget, but I get to go to this virtual event and that's awesome. So like we're, we're, we're I think we're attracting people who didn't used to attend NBA events. And mm. while the NBA event might bring three, four, 5,000 people out, um, it's a big industry and there's a lot of people who just aren't aren't coming to industry events. So I guess my uh, my contrary take on that would be like, there's a, there's a place for it, but I hope the events that I get to spend time at are in person. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm sure it'll get, let's hope for the metaverse. You know, once once the metaverse gets here, maybe virtual uh, events will get better too. You will see my hologram everywhere. <laughs> you must have been looking at my notes because I've got a bonus for the future here, but we'll get to that one here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> question number four, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Hmm. I think that broker commissions will go down over time. Yeah. I, trust me, I was one and I didn't do a whole lot of <laughs> work to get probably more than I should have at that point. All right. And uh, this is a special edition bonus question. Have you given any consideration to how or if you'll be doing appraisals in the metaverse? It's funny. I actually talked to a company that is selling virtual real estate. Um, and I was like, oh, do those guys need appraisals? Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that. You know, we're already seeing the like continuous adoption of 3D technology. So maybe not a metaverse like fake, well not fake, like digital non-existent stuff, but maybe, you know, walking through a home with an Oculus through a 3D scan sort of thing could definitely become much more of a thing. Um, so yeah, I don't, we don't need to get in the weeds of trying to value NFTs and stuff, but uh but yeah, I, I think there'll be some kind of metaverse component to at least like property walkthroughs and stuff like that. I would like to imagine uh, desktop appraisals in the metaverse is just, you know, you wake up, you get your coffee, you sit down, you put on your goggles and you've got 10 properties in the metaverse that you need to go walk to and gather, you know, uh, in-person information. Mm-hmm. I Maybe, clearly I know nothing about the metaverse. No, you're, 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 you're joking. I think that that is, is definitely a potential outcome. Yeah, I think we poke at this like virtual land idea and I think it's yet to be proven whether the people buying it um, are doing it because this might be a market in the future or that their ether has appreciated 10,000 times and they don't know what to do with all this money and there's only so many penthouses you can buy in the real world. But there does seem to be some some business cases coming out of like this virtual land idea. And I talked to a, a Miami broker recently who was talking about um, branded residents in Miami. So like, like, uh, actual condos that are, um, branded after luxury brands and, and retail and hospitality and automobiles. And it is a place for that in the virtual world too. Mm-hmm. a different type of, um, a different type of social signaling. And like, I think wherever you live in the U S like there's a different way that you like you, uh, you signal like kind of your place in like the financial world. Like in, in New York, you can do it with like your address in Florida, you do it with your, your car and the metaverse, you do it with something else. And maybe, maybe that is virtual land, but it's not going to be financed by the GSEs and it's not going <laughs> to, and it's not going to need a, an appraiser, like a, a valuation of the sort that we are talking about today. I am certain of that. Yes. Yeah. I very much agree. In my neighborhood, uh, the signaling is a Traeger smoker, a very very large pickup truck that is towing a side by. 
That's how you uh, sing. And the length of your beard. And the length of your beard. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Brian, we're going to shift here to the last three questions. These are for our listeners to get to know you better. First one is, what are you reading? I actually just, speaking of the metaverse and all this sort of stuff, I, I just read a book by Ray Dalio about the rise and collapse of nations and uh, potentially the um, reduction in status of the, the U.S. dollar as the world currency and what that could mean for cryptocurrencies and, and other nations and things like that. All right. It sounds tense. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit of, uh, I, I do have like, I'd say 10% prepper in me. Fair enough. So uh, maybe I'm part of Praiser. Come on part. out to South Dakota. We got a lot of that out here. Question number two, yeah. who are you learning from? I learned from a ton of people. I learned from people within Regora. I learned from various mentors, the other CEOs, other founders at companies and, um, and authors of books. So yeah, I think when you stop learning, you, you know, stop doing much of anything. So yeah, definitely, definitely a lifelong learner for sure. And the final one here, what inspires you? Hmm. Um, I think there's a, a bunch of different people that inspire me that like, you know, Elon Musk, Kanye West, people, people that I think like are trying to do really big visions and change the world, even when they've already made a bunch of money sort of thing. So, uh, so yeah, I think even, you know, after Regora, um, if there isn't after Regora, you know, I'll probably still end up be doing something with the company at some point. So yeah, just, just interested in continuing and inspired to, to improve the world. All right. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time. I think uh, I, I personally can say this has been one of my favorite episodes because I appreciate your path to where you've gotten your recognition of friction in a market that no one else is paying attention to and then really delivering new solutions to that market that extends to benefiting both businesses and consumers. Before we go, I'd love to give people an opportunity to learn how they can connect with you and learn more about Regora. So where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, if you go to our website, which is just regora.com. You can check us out and reach out, connect there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, um, different social media. So you can, I, I, there's been some people who are like, yeah, just DM me and send me a message. I'll respond. I, I get 10,000 of those a day. So I'm, I'm not that type of guy, but, uh, but yeah, you, there, there, there are ways to find me. The easiest way is just reaching out through, uh, through our website. All right. Well, there we have it. Brian, thank you so much for, uh, your time here. And, uh, Maybe I'll see you in the metaverse when I'm doing appraisals for my desk. Maybe. Thank you for having me. Had a great time. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right into your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.